morning again. So you see that, all the noise from the crowd. Uh, a while back, Tim came up to me and said, uh, he gave me a couple opportunities to preach while he's on vacation. So I picked a couple of dates, and then I immediately started to freak out because that's the kind of guy I am. What am I going to preach about? I don't know. Well, then Father's Day came around. I'm trying not to walk around, guys. Sorry. Father's Day came around, and Tim started the sermon by saying, I am not going to preach a Father's Day sermon today. And the lights went off and the fireworks and the whole bit. So immediately, I decided to preach a Father's Day sermon on July 2nd. That makes perfect sense to me. I don't know about you guys, but that's what we're going to do today. So when I preach later this month, we'll probably do a 4th of July sermon. Some of you know that this past June, I had a pretty hectic schedule. I had a big project going on at work. It called me to be away for three weeks. I was actually living in Chatsworth for three weeks, which isn't anything I'd wish on anyone. <clears throat> and during that time, my beautiful wife decided she was going to go to Kentucky to move her mother back to California. So the Thursday night before Father's Day, I'm sitting in a hotel room, and I'm cruising TV, trying to find something to watch. With the, street, uh, the, the SAG strike, there's not a whole lot going on anyway. So I decided to watch the last season, the first episode of the last season of American Idol, which I don't usually do because something about Lionel Richie scares me. But uh, anyway, I was watching it. <clears throat> And this young man named Ima Tongi came out. He actually came out. He's lost his father a couple months before the audition. And he sang a song called Monsters. And immediately for the next two and a half hours, I was in tears. I was just gone. And I was going to play the clip, but I figured I don't want to start the sermon off crying so uh, we're not going to do that. Besides the fact that we're doing Father's Day, and dads really don't dig mushy stuff too much, so we're not going to do any of that. I actually look for a poem to start the sermon off today, a Father's Day poem. But again, we don't do tear-jerking, mushy stuff for Father's Day. So then I thought, I'll have somebody come up here and talk about their dad. Again, too mushy for us, guys. And really, when you think about it, and I'm probably going to get some jeer. I know I'm going to get some trouble when I go home today, but Father's Day isn't like Mother's Day. I mean, there's a, about a third as many poems for Father's Day as there is for Mother's Day, and probably a fifth as many stories. I did hear a story that I liked about a dad. After putting his three-year-old son, Brian, to bed, his parents heard muffling sobs coming from the room. Rushing back in the room, they found the child crying hysterically. And when they asked him what he had done, he told the parents, I swallowed a penny and I know I'm going to die. The father, in an attempt to calm him down, took a penny from his pocket, pretended to pull it from Brian's ear. The child was really thrilled and excited. He stopped crying at once. In a flash, he snatched a penny from his dad's hand and swallowed it and said, do it again, do it again. <clears throat> That's what dads do. 
Father's Day <clears throat> is a cheap version of Mother's Day, I gotta tell you guys, I'm sorry. If Mother's Day is the Mona Lisa of uh, celebrations, Father's Day is like your five-year-old finger paint. If Mother's Day is the hallelujah chorus on the piano, Father's Day is chopsticks. In fact, some of you may remember this. Back in the old days, when you used to have to dial a phone, there was something called long distance. And on Mother's Day, there was the greatest amount of long distance calls. And also back in the old days, when you didn't have any money, you could call home collect. Charges go to your, your parents. And on Father's Day, they have the greatest amount of collect calls in those days. <clears throat> Greeting cards, same thing. Father's Day cards are usually a last minute thing. I mean, you don't go out shopping for a Father's Day card. It's kind of like, oh man, I got to get a card. There was a 16-year-old boy out late one night with his friends. Suddenly he realized it was Father's Day the next day, and he hadn't got a card yet. After searching, he did find an open store, and he went inside. There were two cards on the rack. He took one. He brought it home, somewhat sheepishly presented it to his father. <clears throat> Upon opening it, the father read the message. You've been like a father to me. He looked at his son, kind of puzzled. He said, well, Dad, the boy tried to explain. It was either this one or the other card that said, now that I'm a father too. <clears throat> Even in the scriptures, fathers kind of get shorted. You know, I'm going to be honest with you. While writing the sermon, you try to find a go-to Father's Day verse. Not a whole lot there. I mean, Mother's Day, mothers, mothers get a lot. Mothers get a whole chapter. I mean, you could read Proverbs 31, which is almost all about mothers. <clears throat> but where's the Proverbs 31 for fathers? I couldn't find one. And I'm just kidding when I say fathers get the short end of the stick. I'm just trying to be funny. They really don't. But it is hard to find a Father's Day scripture. Plenty of good biblical examples of fathers, even some bad ones. But there isn't a word, there is, a, there is not a word, or there's not one word in the Bible for fathers. I think the closest thing for fathers to read is Psalm 128. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord and walketh in his ways. Now, that word blessed is an adjective, and it's used, uh, it have a couple definitions here of it, consecrated, sacred, holy, sanctified, divinely or supremely favored, fortunate, to be blessed with a strong, healthy body, or blissfully happy and content. And for some reason, I just love that word, blissfully. I can't remember the last time I was blissful, but... It's just a great word. Psalms 28, they, in this, for our sake, we're going to use the last two definitions. Blessed with gifts and blissfully happy and content. <clears throat> now, if you're not a preacher or if you're not at church and you ask the average person at the mall or at school, 
What would make you totally happy? The answers people are going to give you probably fall into three categories. Possessions, accomplishments, and relationships. Which I'm, I'm not putting any of those down. Those things can bring you happiness. But God's words tells us the only thing that can give us true happiness is contentment, obeying God, fearing God, which is obedience. I don't like to use the word fear too much. I would like to say honoring God. <clears throat> I'd like to tell you there's another way, but God says there's not. And you can listen to the world and all the ways they can tell you that you should live to make yourself happy. And, you know, you might find one that makes you happy for a while. You might find one that seems right for you. But the scripture is clear. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to the man. But in the end, it doesn't get you there. <clears throat> the only true ro road which will ultimately end in happiness and fulfillment is honoring and obeying God and listening to his word and his will. I mean, we read it right there in verse 1. The path to happiness is obedience. So I can tell you that a good father fears and obeys God. A father needs to fear and obey God the same way he fears and obeys his wife. A man... The man came home one day and he had a cupcake he brought home from work. He had three kids, so he didn't know how he was gonna, who he was going to give it to. <clears throat> so he asked a question. He goes, okay, who obeys mom every day? Who does everything mom says without complaining? To which the oldest son replied, okay, dad, you get the cupcake. And that, I mean, and that's not a bad thing. It is a thing. But it's not a bad thing. I think honoring our wives is something that we need to do. <clears throat> there was also a story of a mother who was sick. And her, her husband volunteered to go to the grocery store, get some groceries for her. She said, I just need you to pick up a few things. So dad comes home about three hours later with about 30 bags. And his wife was shocked. What did you buy all these things for? He replied, he looked a little perturbed. He goes, I only bought what was on your list. The wife said, I only had seven things on my list. I even numbered them for you. There was a dead silence. The dad looked at her like a deer in the headlights. Those were numbers? He'd bought one bag of sugar, two eggplants, three large bell peppers, four dozen eggs, five boxes of crackers, six boxes of detergent, and seven hams. Honor and obey your God, and you will be blissfully happy and content. Secondly, you shall eat the fruit of your labor, the fruit of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it will be well with you. God promises that if you fear and obey him, you will reap the re rewards of your obedience. He's promising us that the labor of our hands, the thing you work hard at, plowing, building, selling, God will bring those to fruition. God's saying that he will personally bless your labor and the efforts of your labor. Now, this kind of has a double meaning. Physically, God will bless your earthly effort, 
you're in, you invest in your profession. If you work hard at your job, he's going to bless you. Spiritually, God will bless you, your effort, just because you're obeying him. God's word says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will have eternal life. That's just the way God writes it. We have to be serious about what we're doing and why we're doing it. Our obedience has to have a purpose. God is very good about following. I'm sorry, this is where the clip was supposed to be that we couldn't get it, so I'm kind of, I got thrown. But God is good about following the reaping and the sowing rule. You have to be able to pleasure God with your efforts and what you do. And then God will, will bless you coming back. Reminds me of the family. 16-year-old son finally got his driver's license. The whole family decided they were going to go for a drive in order to celebrate this special day. So they all pile in the car. However, dad got in the back seat behind the driver. When he saw this, when his son saw this, he said, Dad, why don't you sit up front with me? Nope, he said. I'm going to kick the back of your seat like you've done to me for 16 years. Uh, Thirdly, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Here God is promising many, 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 many babies. Back in those days, that was uh, a, a blessing. It's not so much... I would, I'm not going to say it's not a blessing now, but in moderation. Today, God might pro- promise you uh, prosperity, fi- financial wealth. But in the psalm, God is speaking to a farming culture that relied upon their, relied upon their families. Uh, God is speaking from the culture of grapevines, which the Jewish people symbol is prosperity and abundant life. Large families were especially regarded as a mark of prosperity in the Bible. People uh, lived in extended families, sometimes several generations, all under the same roof. A poor man with a large family was considered more blessed than a millionaire with no kids. A little secret, too. What's the difference between a millionaire and and a man with six children? The millionaire wants more. In that society, all the men wanted more kids. They wanted as many kids as they could get. And God promised them many, many, many children if they were to obey him. That's just about the greatest earthly blessing any man could get back then. So a wife was a treasured blessing for any man. He prized her and he treasured her like the man in the Lamaze class. Instructor was teaching the women how to breathe, along with informing the men how to give necessary support while they're going through this stage. The teacher then announced, ladies, exercise is good for you too. Walking is especially beneficial. And gentlemen, it wouldn't hurt you all to walk with your wives. The room got deathly quiet. Finally, one man raised his hand. Yes, the teacher said. 
is it all right if we walk on grass and she carries my golf bag? Probably not what he had in mind, but a wife is a blessing. Her value is far more than rubies. Lastly, your children will be like olive shoots around your table. We have to kind of unpack this one a little bit. Today, we really don't understand the promise of olive shoots. In In biblical times, the olive tree was, and it still is, the most important tree they have. It's a source of food, light, hygiene, and healing. For nearly 6,000 years, they've eaten olives in the Middle East. And olive oil has been used for cooking and for light and lamps, for medicine. And by the time the Roman conquest of Judea took place, the olive had become the most basic dietary supplement for people, even the poor. The funny thing is a mature olive tree doesn't have many branches. They have thick branches that are green. But olive branches have to be regularly pruned back and cut back because they lose their vigor and their ability to provide fruit. They're pruned in order to let the smaller branches receive the nutrients in the sunlight that they can get. As the tree ages, more and more branches are cut off. So a very old olive tree will have very few branches. In our modern day microwave, lightning fast internet world, we tend, to see, we tend to live for the minute with little thought for tomorrow, but not so in the psalmist day. They were constantly thinking of the future, the long run, the big picture, tomorrow's crops. And that was their retirement. That was their 401k. That was their future. And frankly, that's what they lived for, to build that future for their families. As the trees become older and were pruned away, this presented an ugly prospect for the gardener. His greatest source of joy and hope was not a large crop this year but the tiny little buds that appear on the old stumps, olive shoots. They promised a future that the gardener and his children children after him, they can enjoy that for a long, long time. Each year the gardener would look in hope for these shoots because it would mean it could be up to 15 years before they produce. So they had to be started and taken care of just like our children although 15 years might be short in my household, 30 years maybe, but. In the society where the government taxed the people, sometimes heavily, gave back no welfare, no assistance, no social security, a man's only hope for his old age was to have sons. The more the better. Sons could work work the garden, harvest the crops, provide strong backs for building and maintaining a home, and they could give grandsons. That's the hope for their future. Children, particularly sons, were a much welcome sight as olive shoots in the garden, just like that. God is promising prosperity, hope, a future, peace, many things when he promised them children. It's different today. 
children are seen kind of in a different light. Sometimes they're seen as a strain on our finances. Sometimes they're just a strain. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. But our children are part of our future. It reminds me of a young man who went to college. And he writes to his father asking for some money. He said, Dear Father, school is really great. I'm making lots of friends and studying very hard. With all my stuff, I simply can't think of anything I need. So if you would like, you can just send me a card as I would love to hear from you. Love your son. After receiving the letter, the father immediately replied, sending a letter back. Dear son, I know that astronomy, economics, and oceanography are enough to keep even an honor student busy. Do not forget that the pursuit of knowledge is a noble task, and you, can't, you cannot study enough. Love, Dad. Kind of recapping a little bit. The path to blissful happiness and contentment is to honor and obey the Lord your God. Follow his word and will. <clears throat> Second, God will bless you with the fruit of your labor. God will bless your efforts and your faithfulness. Third, God will bless you with prosperity. God will bless you with a fertile wife. God will bless you with a long life, as in many generations, under one roof. As goes the father, so goes the home. <clears throat> Look in the Bible. Who does God choose as the leader of the home? It's the dad. Joshua understood that. As for me and my house, when Adam and Eve sinned, who did God go looking for? <clears throat> God's looking for you. God's looking for you, dads, to be the leader, and he will hold you to it to be accountable. Father, we just thank you for giving us the opportunity to be a father, for setting the model before us that we need to follow, to be a good father, to be a loving father and a caring father and a biblical father. You ask, we ask that you continue to walk with us, continue to give us guidance, continue to give us a plan that we need to accomplish that goal of being a biblical father. We know that you are the perfect example as our heavenly father, and we ask that you continue to do that. Continue to be with us and bless us, giving us the blessings we need. Help us to obey and honor your word and your will whenever we can. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Amen.